Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. A few weeks ago, I was having lunch with uh, Jared Yancey, the senior pastor at Hope Anthem Church in Ottawa, who most of you know, uh, he actually filled in for me here a couple weeks ago when we were at our Marriage Encounter Team Weekend and did an excellent job, by the way. But I was having lunch with Jared, and we were talking, and in this conversation um, over lunch, he mentioned uh, a book that he had uh, read uh, a couple months before that. Um, and uh, I had heard of the book, it's called The Blessed Life, uh, but I hadn't read it. And I said, yeah, I've actually heard of that, but I, but I hadn't read it. And as he was telling me about the book, he, he made the comment that uh, he considered this book uh, to be the most balanced teaching on the topic of giving and tithing that he had ever read, and uh, which was interesting to me uh, since uh, there's really nothing in the title of the book that would point to either of those topics, uh, the blessed life, okay? Uh, but here, here's what you need to know about your pastor, and if you've been coming here for very long, you know this, because I've been doing this a long time. As Kyle said, we're celebrating our 33rd year pastoring here uh, this month, and uh, but I have always, always, always struggled preaching or teaching on the topic of money or giving uh, from the pulpit. For two reasons. First of all, because it can sound self-serving since my livelihood comes from, from you guys and, and your obedience uh, to give. So, so that right there kind of makes it uncomfortable. Uh, but the other reason is because of all the uh, financial abuse and improprieties that have taken place in the church. Uh, historically, and, and that's nothing new. If you know anything about church history, uh, that, that's been a problem almost from, from day one. Uh, but for those reasons, I've always been uncomfortable preaching or teaching on the topic of, of giving, and I know I shouldn't be. I mean, Jesus, Jesus actually talked about money more than he did heaven and hell combined. I don't know if you knew that or not, but he did. Jesus talked a lot about money and unashamedly uh, talked about it. So I know I shouldn't be that way, uh, but, but, but I am. So anyway, after this conversation with Pastor Jared, and I came home and I got my phone out, opened up the Amazon app, and ordered this book, um, The Blessed Life. And uh, I'll have to admit, it didn't disappoint. Um, excellent, excellent reading. And the reason I even share that is to tell you that a lot of the stuff that we're going to be uh, going over over the next few weeks comes from this book, okay? Uh, but again, if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it. Uh, excellent, excellent Stuff. Robert Morris, pastor of Gateway Church in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, is the author of that. Um, but anyway, so with that, uh, let's, let's dive right into our new series uh, this morning, The Blessed Life. And we're going to begin by looking at the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. And this is Jesus talking, and he says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Okay, now, just an observation here, but as, as I look back over that verse, I didn't see the word money anywhere. Does anyone else see the word money in that? I got to make sure this isn't me. Does anyone else see the word money in that verse anywhere? Yeah. Yet, yet, the majority of people that read that verse, they associate it with money. Now, it does talk about giving, but it doesn't say anything about money. See, that's why the context for this verse is so very, very important. The, the statement that Jesus made in verse 38 was actually part of 
a sermon. Uh, and it, it, it actually is probably one of the most famous sermons, and maybe, maybe you've heard of this sermon if you grew up in the church. I'm sure you did, or even if you didn't, you've probably heard of this. But it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's found in both Matthew and Luke, both, both recorded it for us. Uh, uh, Matthew's account is a little bit longer. It takes up three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I would encourage you, if you haven't read uh, the Sermon on the, the Mount, or haven't read it lately, I would encourage you to sit down and do it. You know, three chapters. It won't take you long to do it. I would encourage you to do so because there's some fascinating uh, stuff in there. Uh, but Matthew's account is a little bit longer. Luke's kind of gives us the Reader's Digest condensed version of that sermon. And so his actually takes maybe... Uh, uh, 15, 20 verses or less, something like that. But uh, I want us to uh, talk a little bit about uh, this part of this sermon uh, where Jesus made this comment because earlier in the sermon, Jesus went through all those beatitudes, uh, all those blessed. Remember when he said, when Jesus said, blessed are the poor, yada, yada, yada. Blessed are, the, blessed are you when men persecute you. Remember those? How many remember those? When Jesus said, Four of you, I remember that, okay. But anyway, right after the Beatitudes, right after all those blessed are the poor, blessed are those who weep, blessed are those who were persecuted, uh, right after those, Jesus mentions a couple of practical ways that this blessed life can be lived out, all right, on a daily basis. And he talks about how we need to love our enemies and not be judgmental of others. But then, now watch this, because then we come to verse 38, where he talks about giving, all right? So apparently, apparently, giving is a huge part of living the blessed life. But, and, and, and here's where the challenge is for most people, we need to create some space between those two words, giving and money, in order to fully understand what it means to live a blessed life. Because, come on, 99% of the time, when people hear or read the word uh, money, especially in a church setting, right, they think of money. They think of money. And, and that's really unfortunate because when Jesus talked about giving, money was just a very small part of that, of that topic. See, you know, I, here, here's the truth. I can't preach on grace and not talk about giving. You know why? Because God so loved the world that he gave. I can't even preach on marriage and not preach on giving because a marriage is not going to work if both spouses aren't givers or learn to be givers. And see, really, this applies to every area of our life. Living the blessed life begins by recognizing that giving, it's a heart issue. It's about the heart. And this leads us to our big idea for this morning's message, which is this. To live a blessed life is to live a generous life, and to live a generous life is a matter of the heart. And the operative word in that statement is the word heart. Thus, the title of this morning's message, it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You know, it doesn't happen very often, but occasionally I'll hear someone make a comment that all the churches, all those all, all are after is my money. And, and, you know, that's really not true. And I, uh, You know, that, that's not a true statement. Churches aren't always just about your money, asking about your money. But I'll tell you who is, God. You say, did pastor just say that? You're right. I, I went there. I said that. God is after your money. You better believe God is after your money if that's where your heart's at. If that's where your heart's at, you better believe God is after your money. Because according to Jesus, our heart follows our money. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your what heart will be. 
also. Good News Translation says, For your heart will always be where your riches are. And it's interesting how Jesus addresses this head on. I wish I had that same boldness. I mean, he doesn't pull any punches, but he addresses it head on. He says, look, your heart is connected to your wallet or your purse. Your heart follows your treasure. You, you, you put your treasure in stock, right? You put your money in stock, then guess what? You're going to be checking the stock market. And I actually knew someone who did this. I actually knew someone who did this. He had invested in some stock. I spent an afternoon with him one time, and I'll bet you over the course of two or three hours, I'll bet you he checked his smartphone, that stock, three or four times. That's, that was where his heart was at, right? That was where it I, I guarantee you he never checked it before, but then when that's where he put his money, that's where his heart was at as well. If you want, look, look, this is really simple. According to Jesus, the way that we make sure our heart is focused on the kingdom of God is by putting our treasure there first. Which means, now don't miss this, which means apparently giving is a heart issue. Which really makes sense if you go back and read the context of this statement about giving. Remember, Jesus, is, he's talking about how we're to, give our, how, how we're to love our enemies and, and not be quick to judge others and, and to live our lives in a way that would that not just honor God but, but be a, a picture, evidence to others, that they could look at our lives and, and say, man, that person really must love God, all right? Because even the giving can be applied to those other areas that Jesus already mentioned. Give, in other words, this is how you could translate it, okay? This is how you could translate it. Give judgment, and judgment will be given back to you. Not just given back, but given back good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Will men give judgment back to you? Whoa. Hadn't heard any sermons on that one, have you? Huh? For with the same measure that you give judgment, you will get judgment back. That's the context of these verses. Judgment, condemnation, forgiveness. Now, you can apply it to other areas because of the laws of sowing and reaping. See, if you, if you give a seed, you don't just get a seed back. If you plant a seed, you get a bunch of seeds because you get fruit from that one seed. See, that's the law of sowing and reaping. So whatever you give, according to the Bible, you're going to get more back. So it would be better. If you're going to give something, give good stuff. Because that's going to be exponentially returned to you according to God, all right? So if you're going to give, give good stuff. <clears throat> Years ago, there was a kid who rode my bus. Sweet kid, really, really a great kid. But he had the loudest mouth. And it didn't matter where he sat on the bus, I always knew right where he was sitting because of his, the volume of his voice. And again, he was a great kid, but I had to keep getting on to him. Hey, hey, quiet, a little bit quiet. okay. One time I was at an athletic event, <clears throat> one of the school-sponsored athletic events. It might have been a basketball game, I think, I don't remember. And this kid's older brother was playing in the game and, and participating, so the kid's mother happened to be there, too, to watch the, the older brother. And so uh, she wasn't sitting too far from me, so she kind of came over after a little bit and asking me about her, her younger son who rode my bus and just kind of asked, you know, how it was going. Did, you know, did, did I have any issues with him? And I said, no. I said, I'll tell you what, you've got a great kid. I really, you know, he, he behaves and everything. But I told her, I said, the thing is, oh, man, he, he talks so loud sometimes. I said, really, that's the only issue I have. Sometimes I have to get on to him because, because he talks so loud. Now, remember, uh, the, this, this boy is playing with a friend about two bleachers up from mom and I having this conversation. All right? 
And so I said, yeah, you know, he's a great kid, but man, sometimes he just talks so loud, and, and I, I just, you know, I, I have to get on to him. And she said, she said, yeah, she said, I don't know. And about that time, she heard some commotion up there, and her, her son was cutting up with this other guy, and they were kind of wrestling. And she said, hey, hey, how many times, I, you, you better straighten up, or you're going to come down here and sit with me. And she kind of scolded him a little bit more, you know, and, and then um, after she got done, she, you know, went back and she said, now, what was I talking about? She said, yeah, she, I just don't know why he talks so loud. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, I know exactly why. He's been listening to you too much. And I thought about quoting six, uh, Luke 6, 38. Yell and yelling will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall yelling be given back to you. But I didn't do that. But the point being, if living a blessed life is tied to our giving, and if giving is tied to our heart, then how do we cultivate a heart of generosity? I'm so glad you asked me that. To answer that question, we need to look at a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. It's found in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 15. Here, God tells us how we can cultivate a heart of generosity. Deuteronomy 15, let's begin at verse 7. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, now please note who's giving them the land. It's God. God is giving them the land. You shall not harden your, what? Heart. You shall not harden your heart. Again, folks, giving is a heart issue. Or shut your hand against your brother. Verse 8. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. All right, let's go back through these couple of verses here and kind of unpack them. And I want, to see, I want us to see four things that we can begin doing to help us start living a generous life. Point number one, all right, deal with a selfish heart. We have to deal with a selfish heart. Deuteronomy 15, verse 9. Take care lest there be any unworthy, NIV says wicked, that's interesting, wicked thought in your, and here's our word again, heart. And you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye looked grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. Notice, selfishness is wickedness in God's eyes. You see that? It's wickedness, and it becomes sin. Now, notice what God's saying here. He's basically saying, look, when your brother or neighbor comes and asks to borrow something from you, be kind and willingly help them out. Open up your heart to them. But don't, but, but don't let there be this, this wicked or selfish thought in you that says, man, this is a year of jubilee. That means all the debts are going to be canceled. Now, a little history lesson here. See, see, if he came, in God's economy, which this would be great if we had this today, in God's economy, there was this thing every seven years called the year of, of jubilee where all debts were canceled. How many would like that? Anyone got student loans? Anyone got a mortgage? Every seven years, yep, it's gone. We just wiped out completely, right? So he's saying it, it, if someone comes to you and says, hey, I need to borrow some money, my crops were bad this year, and you thought, oh, wait a minute, this is the year of Jubilee, there's only six more months till the year of Jubilee, if I, if I loan him this, if I give him this, I'm never going to get it back because it's the year of Jubilee. He's not going to be able to pay me back. See, God says don't think like that. Don't think that way because that's, that's, that's not just selfish thinking according to God, that's wicked thinking, that's sinful thinking. He's telling the people of Israel, listen, I don't want you to be, I don't want you to do this to yourself. I want you to be generous like I am generous. And see, here's what we need to understand, and, and this is hard for many people 
to wrap their minds around. But when it comes to giving, the reason that God created giving wasn't for him, right? The reason God created giving was for us. Now you think about this. Think about the absurdity of this idea that God somehow needs something from us. That God somehow needs our money or anything from us. I mean, think of all the, the verses that, that talk about the unlimited resources that God has available. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. I don't know how much silver and gold is in the world, but I'm thinking it's a pretty good chunk of change, don't you? And guess who, guess who that belongs to? God. God. Psalm 50 verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Hey, you got, you've been shopping for roast, uh, 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 ground beef lately? Beef of any kind, $6.99 a pound or something like that. That all belongs to God. Sometimes we're driving through the Flint Hills. Every now and then you kind of look over, you see like thousands of head of cattle grazing on the, the pasture out there. Sometimes I get to thinking, and I think of this verse, God owns that. And I start thinking, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. I wonder how much is grazing out on that pasture right there, right? The point being, do you really think God needs your money to support his work? God didn't create giving for his sake. He created it for our sake. Why? Because giving, listen, this is huge, giving more than anything else works against our selfish, greedy nature. That's, that's what makes the prosperity gospel so devastating, so tragic, that give-to-get mentality, because some preachers preach that. When you approach giving like that, you think about it. When you approach giving on those terms that, that I'll give in order to get something back, actually what that does, it, it feeds those very things God's trying to work out of our lives, that greed and selfishness. How do you think God feels when a preacher preaches, if you give to God, then you'll get something in return? Now, the point is, it's true. We will get something in return, but that shouldn't be our motive. And that's where it's wrong, right? That shouldn't be our motive for giving. We give because giving is a very godly attribute. And we are never, listen to me, we are never more like God than when we use some of our blessings to bless someone else. So in order to become a gen generous giver, the first thing we need to do is deal with the selfish heart. Second thing we need to do is deal with a grieving heart. Deal with a grieving heart. Verse 10, Deuteronomy 15. You shall surely give to him, and your heart shall not, should not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, for what thing? For what thing? For giving with the right heart. For this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. Well, that's an amazing statement, isn't it? And in all to which you put your hand. See, if we learn to give from the heart and with the right heart, God's going to bless us in everything we do. Everything that we do. Who, who, I'll sign me up, man. I'll sign up for that. We need to understand this is a heart issue. But selfishness attacks us before we give, and grief attacks us after we give. I'm going to say that again. Selfishness attacks us on the other side of giving before we give. Grief attacks us after we give. Anyone here ever made a large contribution, gave a large amount of money, or gave something that was very dear to you, very expensive, and then the next week, your washer blew up. Transmission went out of your, fell out of your pickup. Found out the kids got to have 14 cavities dealt with. All right. And immediately, the enemy comes in. He says, see, I told you you shouldn't have done that. I told you you shouldn't have done that. And grieve 
We grieve because we gave. God says, you can't do that. Our first full-time ministry job was back in 1981. We were hired as youth pastors at a church. We made $300 a week. So each week, I would write a check for $30 and put it in the offering. That was our tithe. One Sunday, the pastor was preaching on the principle of tithing and giving and offerings and how there's a difference between the tithe, which really belongs to God anyway, and offerings, giving over and above your, your tithe. After he preached that message, driving home, I, I, I kind of felt convicted that God wanted us to start giving over and above our tithe. So Sue and I talked about it. We prayed about it. So that next Sunday, we started giving an extra $20. So after that, each week, we'd write a check for $50, 30 for our tithe and 20 as an offering over and above the tithe. The very next week, I kid you not, the very next week, our 1969 Plymouth Fury died on us. I mean, just quit running. And I got to be honest, full disclosure here, I did not respond very Christ-like when that happened. Uh, my heart wasn't just grieving. My heart was ticked off uh, at God. Uh, I didn't have buyer's remorse. I had tither's remorse is what I had. Started having second thoughts about not just the tithing, but that extra $20, right? And I, and I had some pretty uh, raw conversations with God. Okay, God, and I know you guys do this too, so don't judge me. Oh, I see how you are, God. Is this, this is how you reward us for taking that step of faith and giving an extra $20 in offering. This is how you reward us. You, you, you let our car die. Gee, thanks for nothing, God. And it didn't help that we had to go car shopping because honestly, and I don't know if there's anyone else out there, when, when you do car shopping, like when we do car shopping, we don't have much money. So we're going to have to get a used car, probably with a lot of miles on it. And, you know, probably right up there next to a root canal, car shopping is one of my least favorite things to have to go do. But here I am forced to do this because our car died on us. All we had was my 62 Chevy pickup, three speed, three on the tree. Sue, so to this day, doesn't know how to drive a stick. Right? So what am I, I going to do? I got to go get a car. I got to go get a car. And I hated being in that position, right? Fast forward a couple of Sundays later after the evening service, and this is back when churches used to have evening services. After the evening service, pastor came up and asked if I could uh, meet him in his office for a few minutes. And when you're a youth pastor and the pastor says, can I see you in my office for, you know, like, uh-oh, my, my mind's racing. Oh, what, what happened? What happened? You know, try, trying to think of everything that I'd said, anything that had happened. Anyway, I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll be there in a few minutes. So I kind of talked to a few other people and made my way over to his office. When I walked in, he came over, shut the door behind me. <laughs> then I was really nervous. Went over and stood by his desk, and he turned to me, and he said, uh, he said, I got a question for you. He said, are you and Sue still looking for a car? And I said, yeah. I said, you know, we had test driven a couple, but we just didn't feel comfortable, you know, making an offer on either one. You know, this one had this many miles, and this one had this and that, and so forth. He paused for a moment, and then he said, well, he said, you can quit looking because God told me to uh, give you mine. And at that point, he reached in his pocket and handed, us, handed me the car keys to his car. This was in 1982. His car was a 1981 Olds Cutlass Supreme. 
So about a, not even a year old because you know cars come out in the fall of that year that they're that they're labeled. So really, it 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 really wasn't even quite a, a year old. And he's given me this car. I was stunned. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to think. As I walked out of his office, I got to thinking about that statement that I'd heard so many people say time and time again. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. I'm telling you, dear ones, we serve a great God. When I was a kid, there was a hymn we used to sing called Trust and Obey. Those you old timers might remember this. The chorus went like this. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. To this day, I truly believe that the newest vehicle that we've ever owned was because we learned to trust and obey God in our finances. We obeyed God's word to tithe, and then, and then, when he asked us to give over and above our tithe in an offering, we trusted him to take care of us. Living a blessed life means living a generous life, and living a generous life means being sensitive to the Lord's voice and responding obediently when he tells you to be generous towards someone. What type of person gives away a brand new car? You know, this Wednesday is uh, Sue and I will be celebrating 42 years of marriage. It's interesting because our anniversary at the church and our wedding anniversary is about the same time, 33 years at the church, but 42 years of marriage. And so I got to thinking about that. This week is, is uh, uh, in fact, it's, it's Worship Wednesday. So, you know, we'll be celebrating that. And, but I got to thinking, man, I'd like to take her out for dinner. I'd like to take my smoking hot wife out for dinner, you know, celebrate 42 years. But man, I just don't, I just don't have the money right now. I mean, you know, th- things are kind of tight. And I'm thinking, man, surely, is, is anyone, is, can anyone here help, help a brother out? Do your pastor a solid and, and, and help, help me out here? Ooh. $100 bill. $100 bill. <laughs> He's, you're, you're messing up my illustration. <laughs> you just messed up my illustration, I'm just saying. Now, here's the thing. I, I'm going to have to wing it now. $100, man. S&G Enterprises must be doing pretty good, Gage. Why was Gage, I don't know why he came up, but why, why was Gage so quick to respond to my need? I'll tell you why. It's because I gave him this $100 bill before the service. And, and, I, and I told him what I was going to do. Gage, are you grieving that you gave me this? Thank you, Mark. The reason why Gage and Mark gave me this, I'm assuming, is because they understand it didn't belong to them in the first place. This didn't belong to him in the first place. What kind of person gives away a brand new car? Someone who understands that it didn't really belong to them in the first place. 
Um, Gage, you want to come back up and get this? this, this I, I was actually, the, the, the goal was to uh, use Gage in the first service and Seth in the second service. Uh, I told him at the first service, you keep it because you're getting married. Make sure Seth gets that because he's getting married too and he's going to need that, all right? And maybe even, uh, <laughs> maybe I'll even get two tens and Mark will pitch in too, all right? Thanks, Mark. <laughs> Gotta get a McDonald's Happy Meal with this one, right? No La Coretta with that, right? right, So, see, the reason that we grieve after we give is because we thought it was ours, right? We thought it was ours, and the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So, when we give back to God, what's already His, what's to grieve over? Are you hearing me? What's to grieve over? It was never ours in the first place. So, deal with a grieving heart. And here, number three, develop a generous heart. Verse 14, Deuteronomy 15, 14. You shall furnish him. The him here is referring to the brother or neighbor who has fallen in hard times and, and has a need. Back up in verse 7. You shall furnish him liberally, good news says generously, out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, out of your wine press, as the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. Now, they were lived in the agricultural economy, so that, that was their resources, right? You know, cattle and, and, and crops and, and grains and so forth. So, But look at the last part of that verse. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. Give to that your neighbor, the one in need. God wants us to be generous. We were born selfish. We're born again generous. But he needs to work that out of us. And that's why it's a heart issue. That's why it's a matter of the heart. We read Luke 6.38 for introductory text, but when you read the verse in context, we don't have time to do it now, but if you go back up a few verses to about verse 30 and read what Jesus said, he's talking about being generous here. He's saying that we should learn to be more readily available to give to those who ask of not just give, But give with no strings. Give generously and with no strings attached. Give without expecting anything in return. In other words, he's dealing with our heart. Do you see that? He's dealing with our heart here. Because that's where it gets tough. It's when it gets to our heart. And see, you parents, you really understand this better than you realize. Think about it. What's one of the first things that a parent has to teach their children? Share. You got to share. And if you doubt that, go put three two-year-olds in a room and one toy and see what happens. As our Heavenly Father, God is saying to all of us, all of His children, when are you going to grow up? When are you going to grow up? When are you going to learn how to share? When, I want you to understand how this works, how my economy works. It's by living generously because it's not yours to be. So, I want to develop a generous heart. And here's number four. Develop a grateful heart. And back in Deuteronomy 15, verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. Command us to do what? Verse 14 tells us to be generous. I command you to be generous. Command, really? On what authority? On the authority that it's all his to begin with. That's his authority. 
It's all his to begin with. And he's saying, look, if anyone should know that, it's you guys. You guys who were living under Egyptian bondage for 400 years. And I led you out. I set you free. Right? You lived under that harsh, oppressive rule of Pharaoh for so many years. And most Bible scholars will tell you that in the Old Testament, Egypt is a picture or type of the world. Pharaoh is a type or picture of Satan. And Moses is a type or picture of Jesus. And just like Moses led God's people out of Egypt into the promised land, so also does Jesus deliver us from the Egypt of this world and the bondage of Satan's oppressive rule into the promised land of heaven. So if anyone should be generous, it's, it's those of us who were slaves to this world and this world system, but were delivered and set free by our deliverer, Jesus Christ. And the point of the verse is, as long as, listen, as long as we remember that, it will be easier for us to live a generous life. Not long ago, I reconnected with a very good friend of mine from high school. I actually lived with him my senior year. Tremendous family. And uh, anyway, I reconnected with this guy. And, and uh, in the course of our conversation, he was telling me about some of our other mutual friends who are no longer alive. And in a couple of these instances, their lives ended in very sad and tragic ways. Anyway, I was driving home from meeting with this guy, and as I was driving home, I got to thinking about those old friends of mine who, whose lives ended far too soon due to life-controlling issues that, that, that sadly they were never able to get freedom from. And I remember thinking at that moment, thank you, Lord, for redeeming me from that lifestyle. Thank you, Lord. But for the grace of God, that could have been me. When you look at the topic of giving from the perspective of the large picture of what God did for us, it, it, it's really a no-brainer, dear ones. Why shouldn't we be generous? I didn't have anything. I was a slave. You didn't have anything either. No matter what you had before you came to the Lord, you didn't have anything. That all belonged to God anyway. That's why I just love that new song that we've been singing, Egypt. Because the moment we forget what God has done for us is the moment that we quit living generous lives. You want to live a blessed life? It begins with our heart. And it's really as simple as this. If Jesus has your heart, I mean really has your heart, it belongs to him, then you will live. You'll live a blessed life. Because when Jesus has our heart, then we understand that everything we have is because of his hand of blessing anyway. And then we'll be in a better position to be generous and help others in his name. Bow your heads. Let me, let me pray for you. And again, like we do each week, I want you to just take a moment here, ask the Holy Spirit what he wanted you to learn from this message. If you took the time to come here this morning, God has something to say to you. So I just want you to ask him right now. Just say, Lord, what, what did you want me to learn from this message? And then pray for the grace and strength to follow through with whatever, whatever he told you. And Lord, whatever we need to do to be more generous, help us begin doing those things. Deal, deal with our selfish and grieving hearts and develop generous and grateful hearts within us. 
And then one last thing, if you're, if you're here this morning or you heard the message, but you're not really right with God. And by that, I mean you're not in a right relationship with God. And you know it. Look, don't let the enemy play mental gymnastics with you. This is, this is too huge of a topic, folks. You know if you're right with God or not. You either are or you're not. So don't, don't play that game. And if you're not right with God, if you've not committed your life to God fully and completely, it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer where that can happen. So if that's you, if you'd just be willing to just pray this simple prayer with me to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me of those things that I've done, those willful acts of disobedience that have hurt me, have hurt others, have, have hurt you, and separated me from you and your plan for my life. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me so that I can not just go to heaven, but live a blessed life here and now. So I'm asking you now to come live inside of my heart by your Holy Spirit and help me live my life for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.